Hi, WorkWell listeners. I'm really excited to share that my book, Work Better Together, is officially out. Conversations with WorkWell guests and feedback from listeners like you inspired this book. It's all about how to create a more human-centered workplace. And as we return to the office for many of us, this book can help you move forward into post-pandemic life with strategies and tools to strengthen your relationships and focus on your well-being. It's available now from your favorite book retailer. Building strong relationships with others is crucial in our personal and professional lives. Yet many of us struggle to build new connections or maintain the ones we already have, especially when conflicts arise. How can we connect across differences and develop relationships in which we actually see and hear others for who they are? It starts by understanding what a successful relationship looks like and learning strategies to help you deepen your connection. This is the WorkWell podcast series. Hi, I'm Jen Fisher, Chief Wellbeing Officer for Deloitte, and I'm so pleased to be here with you today to talk about all things well-being. I'm here with Carol Robin. She's a former award-winning Stanford Business School professor who taught the legendary interpersonal dynamics course for nearly two decades. Also known as the touchy-feely course, students consistently described it as life-changing. She also co-authored the book, Connect, Building Exceptional Relationships with Family, Friends, and Colleagues, which incorporates many of the lessons from that course. Carol also co-founded Leaders in Tech, a nonprofit which brings what she taught at Stanford to tech startup CEOs and their organizations. Carol, welcome to the show. Oh, thanks for having me, Jen. I'm excited to be here. Absolutely. I'm excited about this conversation. It's a topic that is near and dear to my heart, but also near and dear to your heart. So tell us who you are, your personal story, and then talk to me about you know human connection and how you became passionate about this topic. Okay, I'll try to I'll try to be uh, succinct. It's a long meandering story. <laughs> That's okay. Take as uh, long as you need. <laughs> so uh, so I uh, I've had six different careers, depending on how we count, maybe seven, anyway. Um, And uh, I started out in sales and marketing and industrial automation. I was the first woman hired into a non-clerical job Mm. at one of the largest company, industrial automation companies in the world in 1975. So uh, yeah, I was first woman in a non-clerical job. That was an interesting experience interesting, you can double click on and say full of learning. And uh, then I had a career in consulting and I had, I had a career, I had an era that I call my nonprofit era while my kids were young and I was raising them. And then eventually I went back to get a PhD because I decided I wanted to get into uh, organization development and leadership development. And I wanted to understand a little bit more about I guess psychology and sociology and mm-hmm. and a lot of other things that I'd only learned through experience. Uh, there, I met somebody who introduced me to David Bradford, who is my co-author mm-hmm. uh, and about the book that I suspect we'll talk about at some point. <laughs> and that uh, took me to Stanford uh, Graduate School of Business, where on a lark, I went to meet with him because somebody said, hey, you know, they teach this class over there that is really starting to take off. And they need somebody else to teach. And so at the time I was a partner in a consulting firm and 
I went over to, to meet David and he said, hey, why don't you come teach for us a quarter a year? And I went to my partners and I said, hey, I, I, I got to get off the road one quarter a year because I was traveling all over the world. Uh, and they said, well, yeah, it sounds relatively prestigious to have one of our partners be a, somebody <laughs> teaching at the Stanford Graduate School of Business. So go ahead. So that's what started my, my Stanford uh, career slash saga. <laughs> and I ended up staying there for almost 20 years. I went from teaching one quarter a year to uh, having my partners buy me out and stayed at Stanford uh, full time and taught initially uh, this course that's called Interpersonal Dynamics. Um, and it's actually known yeah. uh, by the students uh, referred to fondly as touchy feely. <laughs> It's very Love famous, <laughs> very famous at the Stanford Business School and beyond. <laughs> and yes, <laughs> uh, it's 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 one of those legendary courses, uh, and still to this day, probably the most oversubscribed elective mm -hmm. at the Stanford Graduate School of Business. A lot of people think I invented touchy feely, which is absolutely wrong. I became known as the queen of touchy-feely. I'll come back and tell you why. But I did not invent it. If anybody invented it, it would have been my co-author, David Bradford. Uh, I became known as the queen of touchy-feely, I think, because for two reasons. One is that I was not a career academic. I was the only non-career academic teaching it at the time. And I think that gave me, frankly, more credibility with the students. <laughs> and also gave me an opportunity to connect the dots for them a lot more and help them understand how they were gonna use what they were mm -hmm. learning. Um, and back to your original question, it wasn't until I started teaching touchy-feely that I realized that was actually what I was put on the planet to do. Mm -hmm. I, was I was put on the planet, A, to teach, which ironically, in my first dissertation committee meeting, I said, please don't make me do all that crap that academics care about because I'm not ever going to teach. <laughs> um, Never and, say things like and, that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, the The chair of my, of my dissertation committee sent me, all those years I was at Stanford, sent me a birthday card every year addressed to Carol Robin Graduate School of Business, Stanford University. And it always started with, I just want to be really clear. I am never going to teach. <laughs> yeah. So uh, she was the first to say, never say never. And yep. uh, those, those words have continued to ring true for me many, many years later. So, you know, what I discovered, not just that I loved teaching, but that I love teaching this, this mm -hmm. meaning helping people learn how to do a better and more um, sustainable and reliable job of creating stronger, robust connections and relationships with each other. Uh, and uh, it's it's not there's it's not an art; it's a science. Uh, and it's and it and one of the things that I really came to understand is that that most people yearn for deeper connection, uh, stronger relationships, even learning how to move from dysfunctional to functional. And, uh, you know, the course, the course is legendary because I get as many emails and calls 
and visits from former students decades later uh, saying, I mean, the predictable, I just became a CEO. I owe it all to what I learned in Touchy Feely, or I just got funding for my startup. But I get as many, if not more, pretty sure your class just saved my marriage. Mm-hmm. And uh, I just reconciled my relationship with my best friend who I hadn't talked to for a year because we had a big fight. Thank you for finally writing a book so that I could actually sit down with them and we could figure out how to how to repair our relationship. So it's um, it's life changing. It's transformational, and it is deeply dip, deeply fulfilling work for me. Apparently, it's having an impact on so many. But I, I guess the the question that I have for you about that is, you know, we hear often that humans are wired for connection with yep, others. Renee Brown said that. So mm-hmm. how, why do we get it so wrong so often? <laughs> mm-hmm. it's, a, it's a wonderful question, Jen. And uh, the, the, well, that's part of the reason that, that David and I wrote this book. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, because you're right. Most people, for some reason, don't intuitively know what to do right or how to fix it when it goes wrong. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's a whole bunch of reasons, I think. The first is that while we are wired for connection, we are also uh, sometimes our own worst enemies. Um, And what I mean by that is we are all works in progress. Mm. That means that what I did to create more connection with you right now today may or may not be what I need to do to continue to create connection with you a, a year from now. Second of all, what I do to create connection with you might be very different than what I, than what I do to create connection with Jamie. So to assume that one size fits all uh, is the first big mistake. And the second one is to assume that what works for us is what works for other people. So, uh, so those are a couple of the things that, that get in the way. Um, the third is that it, it does really, some people are much easier to connect with than others. I'm sure you know that. <laughs> um, and it turns out that some of that has to do with how similar we are. It's Mm -hmm. much easier to connect with people that are just like us. However, life is much richer and fuller and and, uh, exciting when we learn how to connect with people that are actually not like us. Right. Uh, And that's a whole lot more challenging. And I think that's one of the reasons that the course is so legendary and popular, which is uh, you know, being interpersonally competent is a determinant of professional success. Right. Also personal success, by the way. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, there are a whole host of reasons, not the least of which we also hold met what, we, what I call mental models, these assumptions and beliefs about right. what I need to do in order for you to w- want to connect with me or like me or want to work with me. And sometimes we're just dead wrong, <laughs> you know. Boy, you know, I work in I work in the val in Silicon Valley where learning how to spin your image to perfection is one of the single biggest reasons people don't really connect. 
Hmm. Because if I don't show you the real me, whoever you connect to is this version of me that isn't even me. Right. Uh, and so, yeah, and there are some tried and true, we can talk about them. There's some, there's some tried and true ways, uh, skills, actually, to move along this continuum. You know, relationships exist on a continuum. At one end of the continuum is contact and no connection. Uh, which, by the way, is what social media is, mm-hmm. um, and uh, and or dysfunction. <laughs> At the <laughs> other end of the spectrum is something we call exceptional, which is why the book is called mm-hmm. Connect, Building Exceptional Relationships with Family, Friends, and Colleagues. And that's that's what we saw happen at, at the business school. But along the way, there's also plain old robust and functional. <laughs> so when you learn how to move along this continuum, you might not want to, you might not want all your relationships to be exceptional. First of all, that's not what we're advocating. It'd be right. exhausting and it's impractical. But you might want to know the skills to get there so that with a few you can. And along the way, you can move any relationships to at least robust and functional. So I want to dig into this because I definitely want to know some of those skills. We talked about human beings are wired for connection, but we didn't really talk about why connection is so important. And you talked about connecting across different differences and you talk about that a lot in the book. Mm -hmm. So can we go there first and then get into kind of the continuum and and how to move along that continuum? And and also- And I'm asking a whole bunch of questions all at once, yeah. but like, how do, like, is there a way to assess what we want certain relationships to be or not be? Yeah. Uh, okay. So that connection matters. We already know, mm-hmm. you know, why, uh, one of my favorite books on this topic, by the way, was written by, um, it was written by Vivek Murthy. Oh, together. Oh, together. <laughs> yes. So, so well, fun he, fact about Vivek Murthy, he was where I went to high school here in Miami, Florida. He was our valedictorian. Oh, <laughs> of course. <laughs> of course. Uh, yes. Great and, guy. <laughs> and you know, what's the subtitle of that book? The Healing Power of Human Connection mm-hmm. in a Sometimes Lonely World. Um, so we need it because without connection, we feel lonely. We need it because without connection, we feel empty. Um, We also, by the way, need it because, and we talk about this in the book, in order to know ourselves better, we need others. Hmm. Uh, We we often say it takes two to know one. And, um, And, of course, we need it in order to learn and grow. Right. And you know, living systems are either growing or they're dying. Well, that's a pretty strong reason for for right why we need connection. I don't know that anything else need anything more needs to be said about that. So, I mean, you you said it's it's easier or easy mm-hmm. to connect mm-hmm. with people that are like us, mm-hmm. but it's and it's harder to connect with people that are you know different from us. Yeah. But why is the, I mean, I guess that if, if people are different, then obviously we're going to grow in different ways than if we're constantly spending pe- time with people that are just like us. But w- I mean, I guess, why is that more challenging? Is, because they have different backgrounds, different points of view. Am I, this is kind of a stupid question, but let's dig into that. 
<laughs> well, well, it's it's actually not not a stupid question at all. It's um, what we don't realize is that when we are with somebody that sees the world the same way we do, we immediately know we have something in common. Mm. We might more easily and more quickly trust them. Um, these are some of the basic fundamental building blocks of relationships, right? Uh, commonality and trust. <laughs> and, uh, and when, when, when we encounter somebody that is different than us, then, uh, depending on how different and around what those things aren't automatic. And by the way, it's a mistake even sometimes to think that just because we have these four things in common, that we gonna... see the world the same way about these other two things. Right. Um, but, you know, at the heart of learning how, and, and this is going to get a little bit into the moving along the continuum, at the heart of that is are, are two elements of strong relationships. The first is disclosure your willingness to be more known. And the second is inquiry and curiosity, i.e. the extent to which you're able to let the other person, invite the other person to allow themselves to be known. So let's let's talk about the continuum. You already mm -hmm. kind of talked about the, you know, polar opposites, right? Complete dysfunction. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Or contact, no connection. Yes, exactly. Um, otherwise known as social media, which uh -huh. I love that. <laughs> uh -huh. um, and then exceptional relationships, which is you know what you talk about so much in 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 the book. And so, take me along that continuum, but also talk about what a an exceptional relationship looks like, and how do we identify? I guess where we are or where a certain relationship is on that continuum and if and how we want to move it to a different place. Yeah. Well, let's start with the, the, the elements of an exceptional relationship, which by the way, are present to a greater and lesser extent uh, as you move along the continuum. Mm -hmm. Right. So at the very end uh, of, of the continuum at, at the exceptional end, you, you both feel more fully known by each other. You trust that your disclosures will not be used against you. You are able to be honest with each other and know that that only deepens your relationship. You deal with conflict productively. It doesn't mean you have no conflict. <laughs> and you're both committed to each other's growth and learning and development. And when you have all six to a significant extent, you've, you've kind of re reached the exceptional end. We talk about it like climbing. Um, we have the metaphor in the book of climbing uh, a mountain. Uh, and, and sometimes it's good enough just to get to the upper meadow, which is lovely. Uh, and it's hard to get to all the way to the top and sometimes uh, not worth it because the meadow's lovely. Uh, but you need some element of those even to get to the meadow, even to get to functional and robust. And so how do we then identify certain relationships in our life and like where they are on the continuum? And I guess are there, I mean, if I think about a really dysfunctional relationship in my life, is there mm -hmm. are there ways to 
um, assess whether or not we want, like, should we always want to improve a relationship or are there some relationships that just don't serve us and therefore they shouldn't be relationships in our life? Yeah. Well, you know, it does take two to tango. So, (laughs) so, uh, so you both, you know, you both have to want to have more than you have right now Hmm. or different than what you have right now, because you can't do it all by yourself. Uh, on the other hand, somebody has to start. So if I wait for you to start, you wait for me to start, nothing happens. And sometimes you might want to take our relationship to a more functional place or to a deeper place and not know how. So there are lots of reasons uh, why we, we might get stuck, so to speak. I think that was one of the reasons that the course was so transformative for thousands of students for decades and continues to be, which is that too often they, where they landed was, well, this is no use, or this is impossible, or this is as good as it's ever going to be, or I just have to give up. Right. Uh, And, and that's not necessarily true. And to your point, that's not to say every single relationship uh, first of all, the word should hate that word, <laughs> wish it was eliminated from the English language. Agreed. Uh, every relationship has the potential, yeah. but not every relationship might be worth the work. And that's okay. And that's okay. And only you can determine whether that's, whether you're okay with wherever it is. What, I, what makes me sad is that so many people give up so much sooner than they needed to because they're not equipped with the competencies and skills they need. And what makes my, my work so personally meaningful and fulfilling is that I've seen over and over again how people learn this stuff and actually have breakthroughs in relationships over and over and over again. Relationships they thought would just never, never be more than contact with no connection or just plain dysfunctional. Right. So Now, let me just add one other thing there, though. The um, It's work. It's a lot of work. So at some point, one of your first questions has to be, well, how much is this worth it? Mm-hmm. And that's one of the most disappointing things that I have found, particularly since our book came out, which is, no, I'm sorry, there are no three easy steps to better relationships. (laughs) Really? Um, And yet that's what, what, you know, when people, when I ask podcasters and when I ask people in the media who say, my God, every person on the planet should read this book. And I say, well, then why have we had so much trouble getting more coverage? They say, oh, that's easy, because if you'd written three easy steps to get rid of toxic people in your life, you'd have a runaway bestseller. Hmm. Well, that's pretty disheartening. Yeah, and as you talk about in the book, it's not a, you don't ever finish, right? Like it's, (laughs) you're always, I mean, you know, if you want a relationship to be exceptional and continue to be exceptional, it's ongoing work. It's not like, okay, we reached it and now we can just stop trying. That's exactly right. Yeah. Um, So 
I guess you, you know, I mean, that's where you decide if it's, if it's, if it's worth it or not. Yes. And that's why I said, boy, you know, we're not saying, I mean, I, I think having more than, you know, a handful of exceptional relationships yeah. is, is, you know, it's probably enough, but, but you can have many, many, many relationships at the robust and functional level. You talked a little bit about social media, but just in general, how has, or how does like technology, social media, especially kind of in the workplace, like impact our ability to connect with one another. I think one of the things that in that book that Vivek wrote, I mean, he talks about we are more quote unquote connected than yeah. than we've ever been, you know, yeah. connected through technology, um, but we're lonelier than we've ever been. Yep. Yep. Well, that's, I, I think social media gives us an illusion of connection. Mm. And, um, and so, you know, how many followers do we have? How many friends do we have? How many, you know, I don't, I don't think that's connection. Um, the other thing that happens, of course, is that what, what people post, regardless of which, which medium, they post a little sliver and they usually post, you know, the, the smile, you know, at dinner, as we say in the book, instead of the conversation about whether or not you were really going to have kids. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's, there's, there's a very, I think, I think technology, which has enabled social media creates too much opportunity for very superficial connection, which is not particularly satisfying. Second problem I think we have, especially in business is and boy, especially since the pandemic and with Zoom, mm-hmm. is that what we've done is we've foregrounded task more and more and backgrounded relationship mm. more and more. Well, that doesn't create any connection either. Uh, and um, and the combination is really bad. Of the only the only kind of quote social interaction that we have is either superficial or, you know, the, the throwaway, how are you? Yeah. I'm oh, fine. Yeah. <laughs> you know, let's, how let's was, get to work. Yeah. Yeah. How was your weekend? Good. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So are there any, I mean, how do we use technology in a positive way to enhance our connections? Is, is that, are we able to do that? Boy, that's a that's a great question. I, I I think there's a possibility for using technology to make it easier for us to drop in together <laughs> into something more meaningful, a conversation, or uh, you know whether it's whether it's on the phone or or on Zoom or I think it's hard. It's harder and harder as it becomes more and more. Um, what's the word? What's the word? Asynchronous. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the other thing, Jen, that I think is worth noting is there's a reason the students call the course touchy feely, emphasis on the feely, not the touchy, <laughs> uh, and that's because they discover how powerful feelings are and emotions are in creating stronger connections with others. 
learning to identify our feelings and share our feelings and invite others to share their feelings. It's a whole vocabulary. I mean, I think it's telling that we had to create a vocabulary of feelings that's part of the syllabus of the course and that's in the appendix of the book because we've been socialized to leave feelings out of it. Yeah. And uh, especially in business. I was going to say, but, especially uh, at work. <laughs> but, you know, especially at work. But but in general, I mean, you know, from the time we're little, uh, you know, you fall down, you hurt yourself, your mom comes running over and she says, you're fine, you're fine. <laughs> Wait, I'm yeah. not, right. I'm in pain. <laughs> so, um, so the combination of technology and the and the de-emphasis uh, uh, of feelings, or the or the kind of completely leaving them out of the communications, is is a double whammy. It's one of the reasons why you know people have to come up with emojis, right? <laughs> but the emojis won't do the trick. Yeah, and sometimes I don't even know what emotion the emoji is supposed to be. <laughs> correct. Correct. <laughs> So, so it doesn't always get its point across. But let's let's continue on this this line of of of, of conversation because you know emotions and and feelings. I mean, we talk mm-hmm. we, we talk a lot about that on this podcast. Um, but you know, understanding or having a vocabulary, being able to identify your own emotions. What about, I mean, other people's emotions? Like how does, what is the role that that plays in deepening our connection specifically? Well, let's start with the fact that emotions and feelings are what give meaning to facts. Mm. So if I tell you I went zip lining, then uh, that's a fact. You learned a little something about me. If I tell you I went zip lining and I was exhilarated, you learned a little more about me. If I tell you I went zip lining and I was terrified, but I went because I felt coerced and didn't want to be left behind by my family, You've, which is the true story. <laughs> You've learned something completely different about me, right? Mm-hmm. So um, we tend to we tend to exchange a lot of facts and not a lot of feelings, mm. especially in business. Like who needs the feelings? But frankly, or in, at work. But frankly. Like, how do you motivate anybody without feelings? How do you inspire anybody without feelings? Right. Uh, how, do you, how do you create something bigger than you without any feelings? I don't know. It's just, to me, it's become such, such second nature to always include my own feelings and to ask someone else for theirs. That's where inquiry is important. I said that earlier that, you know, Disclosure is one element of building a stronger relationship. Curiosity and inquiry is another. So, uh, and that's where learning how to ask the, you know, quest- the right questions is important. For example, let's say I notice that you look upset. Um, I could, I can just say, gee, gee, Jen, you, you, you look, I don't know how to read the look on your face. This is where it's a whole lot easier if we're face to face. Right. Uh, but maybe, maybe in the last three exchanges we've had, uh, even on, even on the phone, I can say, you know, the tone of your voice shifted. What's going on? Just what's going on? What, you know, how are you doing right now? Simple questions. 
By the way, the most important word to avoid if you're trying to have get somebody to maybe share a feeling with you is why. Why are you feeling sad? That will immediately drive me into my head for an, a, an explanation, and it will certainly take me out of my feelings and is also likely to sometimes make me feel defensive, like I've got to somehow explain to you right. that I'm okay, that it's okay for me to be feeling angry or sad or disappointed or so what, where, when, how, really, really good, important questions. Why? Stay away from why. And, and so when, I guess, how do we develop, I mean, is there a practice associated with, you know, adding feelings to the fact, yeah. right? So, I mean, you yeah. said I went zip line, I went ziplining and then, you know, yeah. you gave, you gave the, the second example about it being exhilarated and then the third about not wanting to be left behind by your family. So yeah. how do we, I mean, does, obviously that doesn't come natural for everyone. For some yeah. people, they're probably better at it than others. And so how yeah. do we start to kind of develop that practice or that language so that we yeah. can deepen our connection? Yeah. Um, so if you are, if you have a meditation practice or a mindfulness practice and you, and you meditate or do whatever it is to enhance your mindfulness, that's super helpful because you start to identify feelings in the moment when you're having them, then you have the choice to actually express them. Um, first, first you've got to kind of, we talk, you know, it's another thing we talk about in the book, the two antenna. We have an, ant we're all equipped with two antenna. One is the one that gives us, uh, that, that picks up signals, internal signals, like what's going on for me right now? How am I feeling right now? And, you know, the more mindful I am, the more in touch I am with that moment to moment. Uh, like right now, I'm aware that I'm excited to be talking to you, eager to get my message across, have a tiny bit of anxiety about whether or not this is going to make any difference to anybody out there. I'm aware of all of that in the moment. And then I can make choices of which of those things do I want to share. But unless I become aware of them, I don't even have the choice. Then, so, the, so that's the internal antenna picking up signals uh, on what's going on for me. There's also the external focused antenna, which is trying to pick up signals on what's going on for you. That also informs the choices that I make. And so depending on how you respond to my sharing a feeling, I may or may not share more feelings. I may stop sharing feelings entirely. I may have a feeling about the fact that you didn't respond to my sharing feelings and feel vulnerable. So there's lots of places to go here. So one of the common probably fears in, mm -hmm. in maybe, I mean, in the workplace, but I think, you know, generally in life, perhaps we all kind of have some fears around rejection. So yeah. how do you get comfortable with being yeah. vulnerable? Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. when you, you know, without letting, you know, the disclosure of your feelings or emotions kind of be used against you or taken in the wrong way. Yeah. 
uh, or or overwhelming to the other person. Or over, or, yeah, or right. any, if you overshare, right? <laughs> any number of bad outcomes, right, right? Right. Well, that's one of the reasons that you know a core concept uh, in the course and in the book is the fifteen percent rule, hmm. which essentially means you have your comfort zone where you don't think twice about what you say. Right. You have your danger zone, which is uh, in a million years you'd never share that. But there's this zone in the middle, which is the zone of learning and growth. But when the students used to say, but Carol, the minute I'm outside my comfort zone, how do I know I'm not in my danger zone? You know, this this amorphous zone in the middle, it kind of scares me. We used to say, try stepping 15% outside your comfort zone, mm. a little bit. If you if you step out a little bit, you're unlikely to freak, your, freak yourself or the other person out. Right. You have a you, you have an opportunity to see how that went. If it If it goes well, then you've got a new comfort zone with that person. And then you can experiment 15% beyond that. And that's how we learn and grow in a relationship. And in these relationships, I mean, should we talk about these things? And I know you cover this in the book. I mean, should we talk about one? I mean, it, it takes two, right? So yes. <laughs> yes. Know, wanting to, me just wanting to deepen my connection to you without yes. you being aware yes. may, may or may not work. <laughs> Yeah, it's. I, in fact, I would argue it's unlikely to work. Right. <laughs> so, so, how do we go about having those conversations without them being awkward? <laughs> well, you know, we we start with a couple of things we've already talked about, yeah. uh, which is maybe f- disclosure fifteen percent beyond uh, your comfort zone. Uh, so, I might say, you know, I I. I really enjoy hanging out with you. And, you know, sometimes I kind of wish we knew each other just, just a little better. You know, I, I wonder, I wonder if you do too. Mm-hmm. For me, that would be 15% outside my comfort zone. Um, by the way, some people go to a question. How do you feel about our relationship? I don't think that's fair. <laughs> <laughs> I think that if you're going to ask a question, you should actually be willing to be vulnerable first. Hmm. Um, I'm and 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 depending on the relationship and the other person, I might add to what I just said. And I feel a little vulnerable even saying this, but somehow not saying it doesn't seem fair to both of us. Hmm. You know, when in doubt, speak about what's going on for you in the moment. Yeah, it humanizes you and the. Other you know, I, I don't know how you're. I'm, I'm a little. I'm a. I'm a little jittery. I don't know how you're going to react. Also, remember to include your intent. Hmm. And the reason I'm bringing it up is that I really, I really think this could be more. Yeah. And and that could be cool. And totally get it if if for you it's fine. And that works the same, whether in your personal life or at work. Absolutely. Now, in the case when they're at work, there are power differentials Mm -hmm. that we have to remember. And that's where uh, it's even more important for the person in the higher power position, whether it's because they're higher up on the hierarchy, higher social status, whatever. People who are in a higher power position often need to be the person to start because if I'm in a lower power position, I'm already feeling vulnerable. And if you're asking me to be more vulnerable when I have no idea how you're going to react, 
that's that's kind of a big ask. Yeah. So then I guess as a leader or manager, are yeah. there things that that I can do to help empower my, you know, my teams not only to yeah. connect better with me, but to connect better with one another? Yep. Yeah. Well, for starters, you can role model. <laughs> uh, uh, and, uh, and one of the things that, that, that you can do as the manager is be willing, first of all, be willing to take the, the, the first risk, mm-hmm. uh, 15%, and to even say, you know, I think, I think relationships are a really important element of, for, you know, let, let's just start with a basic. People do business with people. Mm-hmm. They don't do business with ideas or machines or products or money or strategies. <laughs> they actually do business with people. Mm-hmm. So, you know, to say, I actually think the people part of business is a, re- is a really important element. And I would like to be more deliberate and intentional in building stronger relationships with the people who work for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, that already makes me f- feel a little vulnerable. I know, but I'm just thinking, uh, you know, on the other end of that, um, if I had a leader that actually said that to me. Yeah. Yeah. What? <laughs> how would you feel, Jen, if you had a leader actually said that to you? I would feel valued. I'd feel like I mattered, um, yep. you know, that I was in a safe space. Um, yep. I, I, a lot of, I mean, after I got over the shock, perhaps. Yes. yes. <laughs> And imagine this valued and kind of seen as another human being, right? Because you said, you know, we have, we do business with other people, but often we don't behave like that. That's right. And imagine what would happen if, if in addition to saying what I just said, I included my intent. Hmm. And the reason I'm saying this is that I want to make sure you feel valued and cared for. Yeah. All right. And then that makes it even easier for you to respond with, wow, I really do feel yeah. valued and cared for, right? Just, and I mean, in it, in it, I mean, obviously you have to back that up with actions and, you know, right. ongoing um, right. relationship development, if you will. Um, but yeah, I mean, just, you know, the, the, the value that you get from a simple couple of sentences. And as a manager, I would I often in the past and to this day, uh, will follow what we just did up, what we what I just said up with, and I want to make sure that you let me know what there if there are things that I'm doing that are making it easier mm-hmm. to connect with me and or feel valued, and anything I'm doing that is actually working against that. Because if you don't tell me, I won't know. Now I'm also asking you to hold me accountable to what I just said I wanted. Yep. And creating psychological safety for me to provide you feedback. You know, I often say it's not rocket science, except that I once did a, you know, (laughs) I, I, I I once did a workshop for a bunch of rocket scientists at a very, very large national uh, uh, agency. And did they say it was harder than rocket and science? Yes. And they looked at me and said, Carol, this is so much harder than rocket science. I had a feeling that was coming. 
Uh, well, this is awesome. I have one final question for you, Carol. Yes. How, like, what are your favorite? We've talked about so many, but like, how do you personally maintain your relationships or build new ones? Like, what are your top two go-tos? And I know that kind of gets, goes against. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm not. No, I'm not well, asking for the three tips to make all of my relationships success. No, no. I, I, I hear you. I hear you. Um, like my my two go tos are the first one is to make sure I've created conditions where the other person can give me any kind of feedback anytime about anything. And that's because I believe feedback actually creates and deepens relation, creates uh, depth and uh, and creates relationships. And deepens it. Uh, because when you give me feedback, you show me that you actually are invested in my growth and development and in our relationship. Think about how often we say, eh, it's not worth it when somebody does something that you know annoys us. So then what do they do? They keep doing it because they have no idea that it's annoying. Right. So instead of saying it's not worth it, try saying I'm not worth it, you're not worth it, we're not worth it. A kind of different meaning, isn't it? Yeah. And so, so that's the first thing. I'm I I I try to both give, and in giving, make it okay to you know to signal that I want constant uh, comfort around being honest. We're back. To, so for me, the being honest piece of the elements is really important. Um. And I think maybe related is the, I, I take responsibility for how known I feel. And when I don't feel known and understood, then I do something about it. Hmm. Rather than just, you know, mope away and think, well, that relationship isn't going anywhere. Well, and, and I, you know, I love what you said previously, where if I, you know, if, if there's something that annoys me, right, and I just kind of brush it off, I think over yeah. time, you know, those things grow. <laughs> exactly. That's why we call them pinches right. in the book, and they become crunches. Absolutely. Uh, and then, and then you kind of explode when it, you know, you could have addressed it in a, in a much better way if you'd addressed it early on. Exactly. Yeah. It would have been so much easier. Yeah. And and you know, I want—I have one more thing, if I might, that I really absolutely that I want to say, just because I—I uh, I don't know. Because I, <laughs> why do I want to say this? I want to say this because I feel so passionately about this. It feels so important to me that more people in the world learn how to do this. I mean, and and I, I and I often get really. Um, discouraged by what a difficult time we're having getting the word out into the world that this exists. I mean, yes, we've sold 57,000 books and people say, my God, that's like great for a book. It's been translated into 15 languages, but you know, Jen, 57,000 is like a drop in the bucket. I believe with every cell of my being that if more people were equipped with these skills, we wouldn't just have better teams and more functional organizations, we'd have 
healthier families. Mm -hmm. We'd have more functional schools. We'd have stronger communities. When I dream really big, maybe we'd even have a more functional government. Uh, that was going right there. <laughs> yeah. But, but you know, it just, I, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I'm back to how discouraging it is that people are like, eh, I don't know, that's too much work. I think I'll just stick with, uh, connect with people that are easy to connect with. Uh, and by the way, even if it's superficial, that's okay. It's like, oh, oh, the potential is so huge. All right. So Carol, what, what can the listeners of the WorkWell podcast do to help you with that mission? Because I love it. Well, for starters, go start living this. Hmm. Um, and by the way, you know, look, I did spend 10 years in sales and marketing. So yes, go buy the book. But <laughs> beyond that, don't just buy it and put it on your bookshelf. Don't right. buy it and read the first 30 pages. Actually, every chapter in the book ends with a deep in your learning with suggestions on what you can go do. Right. Um, people don't learn how to be more interpersonally competent by reading about it or by listening about it. They have to actually engage in it and learn what it is that created connection and then stop and think about, oh, that worked. I think I'll remember that. That's the power of the course. Mm -hmm. um, you know, second of all, follow me on LinkedIn uh, and, uh, and then share what I put out on LinkedIn. Uh, Write reviews of the book uh, on Goodreads and on uh, on Amazon. All right. Consider, you know, there's the, there's a website for the book, www.connectandrelate.com. There are there's a free downloadable self assessment. Want to want to get some sense for how good you are at this stuff? Download the assessment, <laughs> and after you've answered the questions for yourself. Give, the, give it to two or three other people and see whether they answer them the same way you answer them. Mm. Uh, download the free uh, Start Your Own Learning Group with a guide on how to pull some people together and actually up your game with regard to how you do this. And then, of course, just in the immortal words of a well-known shoe manufacturer, go do it. <laughs> All right. Well, I... I hope and know that you will get at least a good a good handful of people that are going to uh, to to heed your words there, including me. So thank you, um, thank you for being on the show, Carol. Thank you for all of the insights. Um, I I read the book and I learned even more talking to you in person. So uh, thank you for your time today. Thank you, Jen. Thank yeah. you. I'm so grateful Carol could be with us today to talk about human connection. Thank you to our producers, Rivet360, and our listeners. You can find the WorkWell podcast series on Deloitte.com, or you can visit various podcatchers using the keyword WorkWell, all one word, to hear more. And if you like the show, don't forget to subscribe so you get all of our future episodes. If you have a topic you'd like to hear on the WorkWell podcast series or maybe a story you would like to share, please reach out to me on LinkedIn. My profile is under the name Jen Fisher or on Twitter at JenFish23. We're always open to your recommendations and feedback. And of course, if you like what you hear, please share, post, and like this podcast. Thank you and be well. <laughs>